Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Blessed are you who hold hope with an open hand, you who try not to fix your gaze on time's far horizon or get drunk on what might yet be. And blessed are you who avoid walking too far down memory lane, getting stuck wondering if that was as good as it gets, if you've peaked, or feeling resentful about all that has disappointed before. Blessed are you who know that sometimes you need to stay right here, at least for a minute. Kate Bowler, good enough. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, we're back with our monthly series, New Release Rundown. I'm joined by The Bookshelf's floor manager, Olivia Schaefer, to talk through the books we're most excited about for February. Throughout the year, we'll feature other Bookshelf staffers and friends in these monthly bookish chats designed to beef up your TBR. And as a bonus for podcast listeners, if you purchase or pre-order any of the books Olivia and I talk about on today's episode, you can enter a new release, please, at checkout for 10% off your order. Just go to bookshelfthomasville.com and enter new release, please, at checkout for 10% off your order. Hi, Olivia. Hey. Are you excited to talk about books? I am. It feels like it's been a little while. I just looked, and it looks like we last recorded one of these in November because December is such a weird publishing month. So it really has has been a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Well, you earlier this week were talking about reading for this episode, and I kept thinking, why? When are we recording? And truly, (laughs) until yesterday, I was all discombobulated because we've been like on a little podcast break, but episodes have still been running because like we recorded in advance. Anyway, I was all turned upside down. And until yesterday, late afternoon, I thought I was recording a (laughs) different episode today. And I was like, this is why Olivia kept talking about reading for new release (laughs) rundown. Because I kept thinking, wow, she's really ahead of the game. You were right on time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wish I was a little bit more ahead of the game because it actually (laughs) feels like February has a lot of good books coming out. There were. It was actually kind of hard to narrow down. I thought, I think you and I potentially have like a mutual, you know how Knox and Jamie from the Popcast do, what do they do? Like mutual green lights. I feel like we have a mutual new release that we're excited about. So I thought we could start with that first and talk about Finlay Donovan. Yes, absolutely. Because I just went back and read the new synopsis for the second one. Yes, this book released February 1st, and I have not read it yet. Have you read this? And are you going to read this? No, I had not planned on reading it because I I loved Finlay Donovan is Killing It, but I loved exactly where they left it. And I was like, I don't think I need more. And then I read this synopsis and I was like, ooh, but do I need more Finlay? (laughs) This is so funny because I think I told you, I've read that book on your recommendation, read it like over the summer, loved it. And I never finish a book and think I'm ready for more. Like I never do that. I never am interested in a series really probably of the staffers. You are interested in a series, even if you don't always get to do it because of book selling. I have no interest in a series until now. And I am 
so excited to have something to look forward to and read. And then one of our podcast listeners, Bridget, she has already read this and she said it was so good and that she liked it even better than Finley Donovan, the first book. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, I might have to read it. So if you're not familiar, Finley Donovan, what was the first one called? Is Killing It. Finley Donovan, Finley Donovan is killing it. killing it. Okay. That came out last year. It's now out in paperback. It'd be a great time to pick it up. And then the new one is called Finley Donovan Knocks Him Dead. Basically, Finley is a messy mom accidental hit woman. Is that what we yeah. want to say? I always <laughs> just call her an accidental hit woman. Okay. Yeah. she. It's a very funny premise like that she is a writer – and somebody overhears her talking about her books, and she then gets hired to, to put a hit out on a person. I, I don't know the language for, for putting out. I, it was like people. a murder. I, I called her, she like got like a murder for hire. <laughs> yes, that's right. And she's so. And then she accidentally did it. <laughs> oh, and she's so bad at it. Like, I think. Elle Casamano, who writes these books, like there's such a fine line between Finley kind of being an idiot and <laughs> then Finley being a convincing, interesting protagonist. And she like teeters that line because there were parts of yes. Finley Donovan book one where I was like, how is this woman who writes mysteries for a living so bad at this? But I think that's the funny part. Yeah. Because it would yeah. be like, if if I were to go out and solve a real mystery, I would be terrible at it. Absolutely I, terrible. <laughs> I don't know, like, Olivia. Give yourself some credit. I think you could. <laughs> I think you could solve a crime. I just felt like Finlay was like the best and worst of all of us. Like she yes. was a hot mess, but she pulled it together when she needed to. She did. kind of, you know. Like yes. that's all and where we're at. Any good, in my opinion, this is where mysteries and romantic comedies, good romantic comedies overlap. Any good mystery or romantic comedy needs a wide cast of characters like mm -hmm. that are the main character, the protagonist's friends or family who are equally as interesting as the main character. And I think this book delivered that. Like we get some really interesting kind of sort of maybe romantic interests. We also get her, my favorite is her kind of babysitter who like helps her take care of her kids. Like, I yeah. adored that character. And so I'm very excited to kind of re-enter this world. Yeah. Okay. So that is Finlay Donovan, Knock Some Dead. That's by El Casamano. It came out on February 1st. Okay. Are you ready? We're going to alternate this go around. Okay. So my first one is Other People's Clothes. This is by Kala Hinkle. It came out on February 1st. This is a debut novel that was recommended by one of my publisher reps. Like they sent me a copy. I am very curious about it for all kinds of reasons. So it is set in late 2000s Berlin. And the author, Kala Hinkle, is actually an American writer living in Berlin. So it's set in late 2000s Berlin, and there are two friends who are obsessed with the Amanda Knox trial. Are you familiar with Amanda Knox? Only because I had Keela explain it to me. Oh, of course, Keela. I love it. <laughs> of course. Our true crime, true crime junkie. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Amanda Knox was accused of murdering her roommate while studying abroad in Italy. So this book is kind of set during that trial. But where I find the overlap to be interesting is that Zoe, one of our main characters, she is studying abroad and her best friend is murdered. 
which to me just sounds like the Amanda Knox story. And so Zoe chooses then to leave and study abroad in Berlin where she befriends another young woman. And they, you know, are living it up in Berlin as study abroad students. And then they realize their neighbor, they think their neighbor is kind of sort of spying on them, observing them and trying to write a book. And so there are real, I have not read this one. It is, but it sounds so interesting because it sounds a little bit like bitter orange or social creature. Do you remember us reading social creature? Yes. What a wild ride that was. (laughs) Okay. So this sounds kind of similar where you've got these two young women. One of their friends has been murdered. Now they're living it up in Berlin, like enjoying the nightclub scene, like stuff like that. But then they're purposefully doing things that will make their lives interesting for their neighbor to write about. And then things go sour. And so it just sounds, it's literary fiction. It sounds like if Bitter Orange met Social Creature, like it just sounds like there are very similar elements. There, There's this true crime-ish element because of the kind of similarities with the Amanda Knox story and the Amanda Knox trial. So I'm very curious about this one. It's a debut. It is called Other People's Clothes, and it was out on February 1st. Um, Okay. My next book was actually out in January, but I want to talk about it because I don't think it's just from the cover. I don't think it's what people would normally just grab and pick up, but it's so good. Um, It was out January 25th. um, And it's called The Appeal by Janice Hallett. And this is her debut novel. Never written before it, which is mind boggling because I will let you know, apparently she had no spreadsheet for this at all. And when I get into the plot, you'll understand why this is crazy to me. (laughs) This is an epistolary novel. It's written mostly in emails and then some texting exchange, but it's about this theater troupe and one of them gets murdered and all of them are suspects. And you see they're like, emails leading up to this big play. But while this is happening, the director of the theater troupe, his grandchild gets diagnosed with cancer and he starts to like have this campaign to like fundraise money to buy her the drugs that she needs for her chemotherapy, her treatment. But you start to realize that like, there's a couple like red flags sparking up here and there that like, maybe he is being conned for money or maybe he is conning someone for money and like the situation's just weird it's just a little off okay and then the personalities you get in this theater troupe as someone who I believe was theater adjacent and also myself was theater adjacent (laughs) it is so well done the the personalities are just like oh my gosh I knew those people yes it is crazy but you get all these emails from these different people she has like a character list for you to like flip back and forth through but I actually slowed myself down while reading this one because there's a couple of like breaks where you get these texting exchange from the two women who are also going through these emails to try to figure out who the murderer is okay and you start to like they start to point out different clues that they found and then you start to realize that like oh maybe that was not what i picked up on and then you go mm. back and like search for it and you're like oh it is there so i like slowed myself down so i could see if i could catch what they were catching while it was happening but it was so much fun like a pg agatha christie style murder mystery it was great 
I'm excited about this one because you raved about it. And interestingly, when Mary Catherine posted the new release Tuesday picture, including this title, this was the book that people were talking about in the comments. Like this was the book that people were like, oh, this was really popular in the UK or, oh, I read this and loved it. So I really want to read this. I'm um, thinking about taking it home this weekend. It was just really fun. Okay. My next one, I'm not going to talk too much at length about, but I did just want to make people aware that the sequel to Black Girls Must Die Exhausted is called Black Girls Must Be Magic. It's by Jane Allen and it released on February 1st. This is a series of paperback originals. I think it's going to be a trilogy, but I could be wrong about that. But my understanding was it was going to be a trilogy of three books featuring Tabitha, who's this 30-something woman who's navigating some fertility issues, struggling to find find work-life balance, um, navigating familial relationships, and the challenges of being a Black woman in America. I read the first couple of chapters of Black Girls Must Die Exhausted and really liked what I read. It reminded me a little bit of Lisa Cross-Smith vibes, maybe slightly less literary. So if you're looking for commercial fiction about a young Black woman kind of navigating her early 30s and life in America, I think you might enjoy this trilogy. The sequel is out now. It's called Black Girls Must Be Magic. Okay, my next one is a children's book. I would say anywhere like ages 8 to 12. Um, But it's The Boy Who Met a Whale by Nizrana Farouk. And it was out February 1st. Um, But this is a really really beautifully and well done book. It was just so much fun. And I was worried that it would get a little bit heavy at points, but it never did, which was really great for children's book. Very refreshing. (laughs) Yes, that is. But it was just this, uh, like a pirate type adventure. So it's set off the coast of like Sri Lanka and you follow these two twins and they're going down to the water one morning because the one twin, the little boy likes watching the sea turtles when they come lay their eggs and then go Mm. back off into the ocean. And then he finds this like little little dinghy boat like up on the shore and he finds this boy inside the boat. And so they like help the boy to like get to a safe place. And then they find out he's like, he has this treasure map and he's trying to get to this treasure before these pirates who mutinied on the ship that he was on come and get the map from him. So they set off on this like adventure. They meet a whale. Obviously it's in the title, but like still a very fun event to happen. Like <laughs> it was just it was just a really fun adventure. Oh, that's nice. I feel like adventure stories without a heavier element are hard to find right now. Mm-hmm. Especially for kids. Okay, my next one is called What the Fireflies Knew. This is by Kai Harris. It came out on February 1st. This is debut fiction, and there is this new, newish imprint called Tiny Reparations Books. And I'm intrigued by it because it's an imprint that was founded by Phoebe Robinson. I don't normally pay a ton of attention to imprints. Sometimes I try to so that I can realize which imprints I like the best or which ones I'm drawn to. But I thought this one was interesting because of who founded it. And she founded like a television production company of the same name. So Tiny Reparation Books was pr- primarily putting out nonfiction or essay collections. This is the debut fiction choice for this imprint. It is set over one summer in Michigan, and it is told through the eyes of 11-year-old KB. And KB is a young black girl who's been sent to live with her grandfather. Her older sibling comes with her. And so it's kind of this summer story of life after a traumatic event. And 
the narration reminds me a little bit of something like rabbit cake. And then the other comparisons that are being drawn to it, I think because of maybe the kind of nature writing outdoor spirit of the book, because, you know, it's set during the summer in Michigan, it's being compared a little bit to where the crawdads sing, which I'm very curious about because so many local customers read and loved where the crawdads sing, which was obviously set in the South. This is set, what would you call Michigan? The upper Midwest? Would you call Michigan the Midwest? The Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that little, yeah, it's got that mitten. It's got that mint. Uh, so anyway, I am very curious about this. This is on my TBR list. I love a debut and I especially love a debut with a children's narrator. So I like adult fiction that has a child who's kind of narrating the story. Rabbit Cake is one of my favorite books of the last 10 years. And so the narration of KB kind of reminds me of that kind of precocious funny, like childlike humor and also wisdom. And so I'm excited about this one. It is called What the Fireflies Knew, and it was out on February 1st. Okay. My next book is The Family Chow by Lon Samantha Chang. Um, and this is out, this is already out February 1st. First off, the cover is gorgeous. So great cover. if you pick it up on that alone, you've already made a great choice. <laughs> but Secondly, I ran through this plot summary like super fast with Walt last night. <laughs> and he just kept looking at me like, what? And then what? <laughs> he was blown away. So <laughs> I won't give as many spoilers as I did for Walt because I knew he wasn't going to read it. But right. essentially, this is about three brothers who come home for Christmas. Their parents own this Chinese food restaurant in it's in it's somewhere in the Midwest. I, I think it's say, Wisconsin. Like, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And essentially they come home because their mother has asked them all to come home. They don't normally come home for Christmas because um, there's a lot of family tension and issues there. But they come home because their mother is a part of this new Buddhist convent. She's like moved out of their house into this convent and they're giving out fortunes before Christmas Day. And so she wants each of the boys to like receive their fortune. And then that night, like the family dog runs away and all this stuff happens. And you're kind of left just like watching these brothers, like try to reunite, but also like cope through everything and not judge each other, but also judge each other. It was I like the first part was like a little bit slower plot wise. I think it was more character driven, which is like the Annie portion of the book. Okay. And then you go to the second half where like now, and this is not a spoiler, but like the dad is found dead in like the freezer of the Chinese food restaurant. No one knows who does it. Everyone suspects the older brother because they have a lot of tension issues. But then like the whole suspense and like murder mystery part starts to unfold in the second part. So it was like the perfect crossover of an Annie and Olivia yeah. It was so good. And I will, this is a spoiler, but for those who are worried about the dog out there, it is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to put that out there. I started this, out there. this weekend because you talked about it as an Annie Olivia crossover. So I brought home my ARC and I'm really liking it so far. I really like yeah. it. It's the relationship between the three brothers is super intriguing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. My next one is another debut. This is called Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson out on February 1st. This book is has already been purchased as like a 
TV show. I think it's going to be a Hulu series. It is about estranged siblings, Byron and Benny. Their mother has died in California. They travel home to, you know, take care of all of the, you know, all of the fallout from when a family member dies. They're trying to follow up with her will and clean up her family home, et cetera. And then they discover that she has left behind two things. She's left behind a cake or the recipe for a traditional Caribbean black cake. And she's left behind a voice recording. And this is no spoilers, but the voice recording is essentially her telling the story of a young woman who flees an island and swims to another country because she has been accused of murder in her home country. And she tells it as a story. My understanding is that it winds up potentially being her story. Um, although that is just kind of alluded to in the, in the blurbs. I want to read this so badly. I did not receive an ARC. So I'm anxiously awaiting it like everyone else, because it sounds like this dysfunctional family story grappling. Cause it's got these two siblings who are trying to, process the loss of their mom, but also kind of come together to figure out what did she mean by leaving this voice recording? Like, what are they supposed to do with this information? Why did she leave them this cake and this recipe for this cake? What does it have to do with anything? So I love books about, I don't know what this says about me. I love books about grief. I love books about families kind of overcoming tragedy. I like sibling stories. This one sounds like it's going to scratch a lot of my itches to use a gross metaphor. And so I'm very curious about it. It is called Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. It was out on February 1st. I really want to know what a black cake is now. I Googled it and it looks really good. Is it chocolate? (laughs) Yes, it's chocolate. It's like a traditional Caribbean cake, apparently frequently like passed down through the generations. You can find recipes online, but it looks delicious. It almost looks like, I don't know, somebody is probably going to be like, Annie, it's nothing like that. But it looked like a devil's food cake or something, like really rich, dark chocolate. Okay. I was going to say, because you can get like super dark cocoa powder that looks black when you bake it. That's what – I didn't read the recipes. I just looked at pictures. (laughs) But but that's what it looked like. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Um, Okay. My next book is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. I believe this is his debut novel as well. I want to say it is. Lots of debuts this month. Yeah. Yeah. And and good debuts. That's what I've been noticing. Like every debut that I've read so far, I'm like, well, they nailed that. Like (laughs) – Okay. Done. Check it off your list. <laughs> also on top of that, I'm pretty sure this author is also like a, a violinist, like a will. Yeah. Very. He's like a classical musician. Cause my dad read this yeah. and loved it. And yeah, he, it's not like he's just a good writer. He's also yeah, he like, as if it wasn't boring. enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this book is about a man, Ray McMillan, who grew up very poor in North Carolina, But the one thing that he always loved was music. And he was kind of like, besides his grandfather, he was the only one in the family who who took on that love and like continued it and wanted to do it for a living. So his grandmother gifts him his grandfather's violin. And it's like in this really old, like, I think it's like an alligator skin case, like that's just really tattered up. And like, he has to get the violin like redone a lot um, to like make it, usable and whatnot. But then he finds out that this violin is like one of the original Stradivarius violins, which are like 
immensely famous and it's worth like millions of dollars. Okay. And he's just such a good violinist that like he ends up almost being like a prodigy type figure of the violin industry. So he's going to this big competition and he's preparing for it. He keeps his violin on him 24 Mm seven. Like the case has a lock on it because he knows like if I lose this, this is everything. And then he loses it. Um, well, okay. To his credit, it gets stolen. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm making him out to seem like irresponsible. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> it gets stolen from him. And this huge investigation starts to happen because the family that was like the slave owners of his grandfather start to claim that it was actually their violin and there's like all this stuff happening, but he's just trying to get his violin back before this competition. It was so well done. The way he talks about playing the violin and the music that comes from it was, I don't think I've ever read it written like that. You just Mm -hmm. could really feel like how much he also loves, like the author loves and appreciates this type of music. It was so good. I think I read it in almost one sitting because you just get absorbed into it. Yeah. You came to the store raving about it. My dad read and loved it. You know who I'm curious if they read it. I want to know if Kate, who used to work at the bookshop, I want to know if she read it because she's a musicologist and she lives in North Carolina. And I just wondered if she would enjoy this one. It sounds really good. And it sounds like the author kind of weaves his own expertise into it, which I always find fascinating. Okay. I am very interested in this essay collection. It is called Cost of Living. It's by Emily Maloney. This is a book about navigating kind of both sides of our healthcare system. There was a collection of essays that came out a few years ago called The Empathy Exams. That's what this book kind of sounds a lot like to me. There are some content warnings, I think, for this book because Emily tried to kill herself when she was 19 years old. And she was released from the hospital, but then was left with lots of exorbitant hospital bills. And I don't think we often talk about the literal cost of hospital stays, particularly mental health hospital stays, and how you have to not only navigate your own mental health and advocating for yourself, but you also have to advocate things like paying the bills. And so anyway, she writes about that personal experience. She ultimately becomes an emergency room technician. And so she writes these essays, not only about being a patient in the healthcare system and navigating, yes, paying the bills, advocating for her own mental health, but she also is writing about being on the other side of the healthcare industry where she is a caregiver and she is somebody who is working in an emergency room and sees a lot of things and what does that look like. So the essays range, cover all of her personal experience, but they range from patient to caregiver, which I think is really interesting and would be especially interesting to read right now when I think a lot of people maybe for the first time are having to navigate the ins and outs of healthcare and hospital stays and insurance and what does all of that look like and what does it look like from both perspectives, from the patient and from the caregiver. So I'm very curious about this book. It is called Cost of Living, which I think is a very clever title, and it's by Emily Maloney. It was out on February 8th. Awesome. My next book, I'm going back to middle grade novels, um, and this is this is already out on February 1st. So far, this book isn't my favorite that I've read this year. I love it so much. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, wow. Okay. High praise. Um, yeah. But this is Maisie Chen's Last Chance by Lisa Yee. And it's about Maisie Chen um, and how she goes to stay with her grandparents in Last Chance, Minnesota. Min- yeah, Minnesota. And basically because her grandfather has fallen ill and her mother has like a, a rough relationship with her grandparents or with her parents, um, Maisie's grandparents. So she finally goes home like to go stay the summer with them like kind of help out, see what they can do medical wise to like help with their grandparents. But their grandparents own this Chinese food restaurant. In this book, you get to meet like some of the customers that like go to their restaurant regularly um, and like the assumptions that maybe you put on them immediately, but then find out are false later on. So there's a lot of like what could be deemed as like heavy lesson learning in this book, but the way Lisa Yi has crafted it it never felt like, oh, I'm supposed to learn that about people right now. Okay. It was just so well done. And like the way she told the story, because um, Maisie ends up spending a lot of time with her grandpa who can't go into the restaurant anymore. So she's almost like his little babysitter. Uh And like while doing so, she'll like go sneak out and buy him lunch from this hot dog shop that his best friend owned, but they didn't talk for like, years because her grandfather cheated at poker one time oh fun. so she'll like sneak him hot dogs for lunch when he's like not supposed to have it and then he'll like reward her with a story about her great-grandfather and how he like immigrated here and ended up in in last chance minnesota but there's also like this history between like of the the paper sons of these chinese immigrants who would come here claiming that they were the relatives of someone who already lived here just so they could legally be here. Um, And so a lot of them ended up working at her grandparents' restaurant. And so she starts to like find their family members now and like piece together Mm -hmm. like where they ended up after leaving their grandparents' restaurant. Okay. It was so good. The, The chapters are like maybe at max four to five pages long, but most of them are like a page and a half, two pages, which I think is why it never felt like heavy on morals Uh because you're, you're moving on so quickly and and so much is happening. But Maisie is just like this adorable character that you can't help but love. And so is her grandpa. Oh, it It sounds charming. And I love books about grandparents and grandkids. Yeah, she takes over make, writing the fortunes for the fortune cookies in the restaurant, but she writes them right before they give them to them. So like she'll watch them eat and then see like, oh, oh. maybe they need to learn this lesson or maybe they need to hear oh. this compliment today. Oh my God. And so she like starts this little like fortune telling revolution. It's adorable. I oh. I can't speak highly enough about it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I might have to read that one. Okay, my next one is a book that I actually think you might be interested in. And so if I finish the ARC, I'll bring it back to the bookshelf. It is called <laughs> Cherish Farah. It's by Bethany C. Morrow. I brought this home because you might recognize Bethany Morrow's name from the Little Women remix called So Many Beginnings, which was probably one of my favorite historical fiction titles I read last year. I loved that book so much. It was a YA kind of reconfiguration of the story of Little Women set a kind of late Civil War, post-Civil War era about a Black family in America. So 
I picked this one up. This is totally different. This is called Cherish Vera and it's a horror story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's an adult novel and it's, I see it being described as like a suspense, but I think based on the description and based on the tone of what I've read so far, to me, it would be more horror than suspense thriller. Now I could be wrong about that, but there'd be a lot of comparisons being made, although this happens a lot with publishers, but there are a lot of comparisons being made to get out. To me, it sounds like the book, The Other Black Girl that came out last Mm -hmm. year that I think you really liked. And so- Anyway, this is about a young woman named Farah. She's 17 years old. She lives in like a predominantly white kind of country club-esque community. She has one other black girl who's her friend. There's like one other black girl in this community. Her name is Cherish. Cherish is a black girl, but she has been adopted by a wealthy white family. So she lives kind of this upper crust white American lifestyle. And Farah frequently kind of makes fun of her for it, teases her for it. And the book begins with Farah that Farah and Cherish are have been friends for a really long time, but Farah asks to live with Cherish's family. Like something has happened in her own family. And so she asks to live with Cherish and her white parents. And Farah begins kind of ingratiating herself and like kind of conforming herself, I guess, to fit into this family. But all and I've not gotten very far, but like all that I've read so far, there is just this underlying sense of dread because you just know this isn't going to end well. And it's talking a lot, obviously, about race, but also about class in America, and then about the complications of friendship. I am very curious how this turns out and what the sense of dread I feel turns into, (laughs) because I definitely feel the suspense, but I don't know yet where it is leading. So this is called Cherish Farah. It's by Bethany C. Morrow, completely different from her previous work, So Many Beginnings, but equally thus far, equally well-written and interesting and compelling. Um, Cherish Farah by Bethany Morrow out on February 8th. That sounds right up my alley. Yes, um, I so say I, I have it literally here for you. So, so <laughs> I will bring it back. I'll take it. <laughs> um, my next one is a picture book that is out on uh, February 8th. Um, but this is not a sequel, but just a continuation of her original picture book in a jar. It's by Deborah Marcino. Um, I believe we sent it out as a picture book shelf subscription when it did come out. You might remember the cover. Yes. 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 I it's wondered if this was her. Okay. Gorgeous. Every illustration in this book is like absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. Uh, and my mother, if you're listening, I believe you did buy it. So don't worry. <laughs> I think she did. Yeah. I think so. Um, but like in the first one, you meet Llewellyn, this little rabbit who likes collecting things in his jars. And then he meets this friend who also does the same thing, but she moves away. But they find they can collect things together even when afar. Now, when we meet Llewellyn, he instead of like collecting things, he's putting his emotions into jars because he just feels them so heavily and so much. And then he feels like he's either overexcited and kids don't like that, or he's too angry and grownups are getting frustrated with him. So he just puts his emotions into these jars and puts them in the closet. And then the closet fills up, the emotions all burst out and Llewellyn just kind of realizes that like he can feel these emotions and that's okay. Like, and he learns to like have the courage to kind of embrace every emotion that he can feel happy and sad at the same time and worried and excited at the same time. And that's, that's okay. As long as he like embraces it fully 
and then he can move forward. It was, again, so well done. A lesson that I, I think maybe a lot of kids could use, even if they don't realize it, just that like yeah. it's okay to have those emotions. Um, a lot of grownups. Yeah, yeah, a lot of grownups could use that too. But it's the same type of illustrations. It's gorgeous, okay. just like the first one. My next book is Good Enough. This is co-written by Kate Bowler. I started with an excerpt from this book at the top of the episode. It's co-written by Kate Bowler and then her podcast producer, Jessica Ritchie. So they wrote this book together. It is a collection of, I think the title literally says 40-ish reflections. So so 40 or more (laughs) reflections. And it's all about kind of making sense of the messiness of life. And as of this recording, we are smack dab in season three of a pandemic. I am not amused with season three. Felt like I really handled season one and season two pretty well, but feel feel like season three is kicking my butt a little bit. And so I like this idea that this is a collection. And Kate Bowler is a professor of divinity at Duke University, so and she is writing from a primarily Christian perspective. Um, so keep that in mind. But her books, No Cure for Being Human and Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Been Told, I think can be enjoyed by people on all sides and spectrums of the spirituality spectrum. So um, she is writing from a Christian perspective, but I do think her her writing is enjoyable no matter kind of where you find yourself. I like that this is going to be like little snippets, blessings, kind of daily reflection. So it's not something you have to read all in one sitting. I devoured No Cure for Being Human in, I'm pretty sure, two or three hours. And so I kind of like the idea that I could sit with Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie's words for a little bit and just read an excerpt every day. This releases on February 15th. I love the blessings that I've seen Kate Bowler post on Instagram. You can follow her on Instagram if you're curious about kind of what her writing style looks like and what this book might look like. It is called Good Enough. It's by Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie out on February 15th. Not to ignore the book you just talked about, but I really liked referring to this year as season three. The, because season three of this. And Jordan and I saw some Instagram. I think it was Joy the Baker. I don't know if you follow her. She's a delight. She was like, we're in the middle of a panine. And panine is now the only way Jordan and I talk about the pandemic. Like we're in season three of a panine and we are at our wits end. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like when you're watching a TV show and they get to the third season, you're like, someone forgot to create content for this. Yes. Yes. That's (laughs) what it feels like. It feels like, you know what? We persevered season one and two. That was all about adrenaline. It was all about pivoting. And now what's season three about? Like hiding in a hole in my bedroom. Yeah. (laughs) Or yeah, we've repeated the the plot elements from season one. We're done. We move Uh, forward now. Yeah. Um, Okay. My next book is, I, I think... This is new for me because my reading life has changed because this has gone monthly now, but I am reading a paperback release. It's called The Verifiers by Jane Peck, and it's out on February 22nd, and I am loving it, absolutely loving it. But this is about a girl named Claudia who works at this company, Veracity, and they do like basically like fact checking on people on matchmaking websites. So like clients come to them and they're like, hey, I've been seeing this person. I don't know if they're fully telling the truth. Can you look into it? And so they do. They like detective work, like follow these people around, like like figure out if they're lying. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Claudia got the job because she played this online murder mystery game and she solved it so quickly that the like head, the CEO of Veracity was like, you're hired. Okay. (laughs) That's how she got the job. So 
they get this client who the first guy she has them look into. It's just that they have weird conversations of veracity is basically just like, I don't know, like we can't really disprove anything because he hasn't (laughs) given much like personal information. And then she's like, all right, well, there's a second guy. So they look into the second guy and they find uh, some stuff that like he was lying about. But then the client goes missing and her sister turns up and she was like, hey, you met with my sister who used my name as an alias to get you to look into these two guys. And now I want to know why. (laughs) Interesting. It was, it's, it's so good. And then in between all of this, you like see Claudia's life because she's the youngest of three kids and they had like a complicated family history, but like being the youngest, <laughs> yeah, I, I felt so seen through Claudia's <laughs> world <laughs> Okay, of just like, oh, it was just so well done. And the conversations that she has with her older brother and sister, I was laughing aloud and I don't do that at books. Okay. Yeah. It, they were just so genuine. And so like, yes, this is exactly how siblings treat each other with like no regard for feelings, just like calling it as you see it. It was, it was so good. It is so good. It sounds really good. And I like that you're being able, we don't often, because we're often reading for shelf subscriptions, we don't often get to read paperback originals, but I kind of like that you found one. I know. And it's really good. And it's her, I believe it's her debut novel again. Okay. My next one is called This Here Flesh. This is by Cole Arthur Riley. I follow Cole's Instagram account called Black Liturgies. I highly recommend it. Again, if you are a Christian, if you're spiritual, she just writes these beautiful prayers, these beautiful liturgies, often from the perspective, always from the perspective of a Black person, but she's also dealing with the fraught nature of, air quotes, racial reconciliation, injustice in our world. She just writes so, so beautifully. So she's got this Instagram called Black Liturgies. And then now she has an essay collection out called This Here Flesh. So this is not like, if you recall last fall, I loved this book called Prayers for the People. And it was by Terry Stokes. He had a great Instagram account. That book is literally Terry's prayers. Like it is literally just the Instagram account you know, on in book form. This is very different. This is not Black Liturgy's in book form. This is actually Cole Arthur Riley's personal story about kind of growing up in America, growing up Black in America, what that experience was like. And it's personal essays and stories alongside more spiritual reflections. So it kind of reads like an intimate kind of coming of age story. I have loved what I've read so far. This You talked about Family Chow having this gorgeous cover. If we're just selling books based on covers, this cover is so beautiful. It's got like this gold element. I, it's just gorgeous. And I'm really excited to get to read more of Cole Arthurelli because I feel like I've seen their experiences and their writings on Instagram, but that's a pretty narrow format. And to now get to see their writing on full display and to get to see their personal essays and their personal story, I think is going to be really gratifying and interesting. It is called This Here Flesh by Cole Arthur Riley out on February 22nd. Okay. um, My last book is The Paradox Hotel by Rob Hart, and it's out on February 22nd. Um, And this one is by the author of The Warehouse, which I read last year, I want to say. And I thought Jamie Golden did too, but I could be be mistaken. Was that just last year? I thought so. No, no. Was it? I feel like you read that book forever ago. And if that was last year... 
I am going to lose it because I'm because that will mean I'm looking it up. Is it called the warehouse? The warehouse. Basically, that one's about like if Amazon took over the it, the world, <laughs> right? Uh, what right. it would look like, and it was nuts. You loved it. It came out August 2019. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine. Time means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the past two years have been two days. It's really uh, compressed. <laughs> yeah. So this one is again right up my alley. Rob Hart must have like looked into my dreams. But um, this is about the Paradox Hotel, which is this like time travel hotel for like the ultra wealthy society. They go here to like time travel and like attend these fancy parties, like all the time. And so their head security guard, I, I don't know if it is uh, male or female or in between. I'm not sure. The name is just January Cole. So oh, we're going to go okay. with, we're going <laughs> to go with the pronoun they for now, <laughs> but they found a dead body in one of the hotel rooms, but the door was locked. So like no one knows how they got in like a very classic murder mystery setup. But only January can see the body. No one else can see this body. And right as she finds the body is when all these like important super elite guests start showing up because the hotel is about to privatize time travel with the U.S. government. So oh. she's they're like, obviously, this is all connected in some way. But they don't know how because as they're trying to solve this mystery, their mind is is basically losing it because of how much time travel. If anyone else reads time travel books like I do, <laughs> they know it can really mess with one's mind. So. <laughs> the logistics of time travel really mess it's with crazy. you. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about this one. I'm definitely going to pick it up and read it. Okay. Yeah. It does sound like it was literally made in a lab for you. So. Yeah. okay my last book is called the swimmers this is by julie atsuka it comes out on february 22nd this book sounds so weird it's gonna sound weird it is so good and i don't even i can't quite put my finger on why it is good except that it's beautifully written and just so unusual so the book is called the swimmers it is about a group of recreational swimmers and a crack appears at the bottom of their public pool. And so they don't get to, they all kind of become obsessed. They don't get to swim in the pool like they have been doing for the last weeks, months, years. And so the first half of this relatively short book is really about the swimmers. And you kind of, nobody is really the main character. It's just kind of about this collective group. And then you get little glimpses at each of their personalities and what the crack in the bottom of the pool brings out of each of their personalities. Then the second half of the book does take one of those swimmers who swims and has been swimming for years, but partially in her, at her old age, swims to help with her dementia. And so the second half of the book is about this woman and her daughter, granddaughter, I can't remember, caring for her. So like the first half is this kind of interesting, almost short story, weirdly, or like novella about these recreational swimmers. And then the second half is about one of those swimmers and her dementia and then her daughter or granddaughter caring for her. And so it's a lot about caregiving, end of life. This book is so profoundly beautiful and unique and 
odd. The only thing that I was like, what does this remind me of? Was it reminded me a little bit of the book Brood, which if you'll recall, was relatively short in length, was about a woman who raises chickens. She goes unnamed, like the narrator goes unnamed. Then you realize the book isn't really about chickens. It's really about her struggles with infertility and motherhood. And that is how The Swimmers is a book about swimmers, but then it's really a book about caregiving and loss and grief. So I adore this book. It is out on February 22nd. You could finish it in an afternoon if you really put your mind to it. Like it's not very long, but it packs a punch. Like there is so much happening here that I really love. So that is The Swimmers by Julie Atsuka. And that's it. Those are the books for February. We did it. Yeah, lots of good ones. So many good ones. So if you were listening to this and there was a title you were interested in purchasing, you can go to the link in our show notes or just visit bookshelfthomasville.com. And at checkout, just enter the code new release, please. You get 10% off your order. All of that information can be found in the show notes. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you. This week, I'm reading The Many Daughters of Afong Moy by Jamie Ford. Olivia, what are you reading? I am finishing up The Verifiers by Jane Peck. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look up from the front porch, scroll until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, support us for $5 a month on Patreon, where you can follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic and as I participate in live video Q&As in our monthly lunch break sessions. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.